from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up everybody out there entangled in the interwebs? We're back. CSG, Ross, Hipsters, Glasses, Martin. Still stuck in Santa Clara, nursing a pretty brutal hangover for the Broncos' Super Bowl 50 victory. But with me, as always, making his way all the way down here from Thornton, the king himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? It's uh, nice to be back. It's been a while, actually. It's been about three, three, four weeks since we've done one. So nice to, uh, nice for you guys to hear my voice again. Yes. And, Nate, we have another guest with us today. We do from DenverStiffs.com and from Denver himself, <laughs> Andrew Feinstein, a man of the people. He's Gentlemen, here. thanks for having me back on. We Always stop, a pleasure. We should stop calling you a guest. You're on. You're on frequently. You should be having Not a different enough. kind of title. It's the basketball hour with Andrew <laughs> Feinstein, <laughs> but it's going to expand into the Super Bowl hour because Andy, I've heard that you went to not only the AFC Championship game, not only the Super Bowl, but you're also an All Star Weekend in Toronto. Yeah, I've just had the greatest uh, five weeks of sports in the history of my life. Amazing. I went to the Broncos Chargers game week 17. I went to the Steelers-Broncos playoff game. I went to the Broncos-Patriots-AFC championship game. Uh, took the week off. <laughs> went to Santa Clara for the Super Bowl. And then immediately afterwards went to the All-Star game in Toronto. So I think this is a sad commentary on my life. But the last two weekends in particular have been the two best weekends of my entire life. Hands down. And I'm 40 years old, so that means something. Yes, yes. Thankfully, you don't have children yet, so you don't have to Not say, that I'm aware of. Well, besides the time when yeah. my kids were born. Right. You can actually say, <laughs> right. yeah, this is the best. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't procreated yet. Uh, and uh, and these, these last two weekends were, I will tell you. You haven't had a wedding yet either. So no. You can still save all that works. stuff for that's later. Right, that's yeah. right. Um, I was in New York two years ago. And the super, for the Broncos Seahawks? For the Seahawks. Broncos Seahawks. And what a phenomenal weekend, and that was the worst. That was the most miserable experience of my life. And I remember after we lost that game to the Seahawks, I said to myself, if we go back, I don't care if we win or lose. Just make it a game. Just make it competitive. Right. And in Santa Clara on, on that Sunday two weeks ago, when Von Miller strips uh, Cam in the first quarter the and they get the touchdown, I just knew it was our day. I just knew it was our day. And even though I was really nervous, I was really, really nervous when it was 16-10 and, and Coach Gary Kubiak basically said, Peyton, we're not going to let you do anything. You're literally going <laughs> to hand the ball to C.J. Anderson and he's going to go down three straight times and we're going to trust this defense. I still just felt like it was our day. It just had an aura in the stadium that this was our day. And give John Elway credit, the white uniforms. Yeah, made a huge difference. Yeah. Seriously, it made a huge difference, and um, it's it, it just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal day. Going back to that that Von Miller uh, strip sack for a touchdown, strip sack, sack strip yeah. touchdown, whatever. I was sitting on my couch. I'm on the edge of the seat of my couch watching this play because I'm always excited when you're down near the goal line. Vaughn gets that sack, and I don't even realize it, but I'm running around my coffee table right. like high stepping, freaking out. And I'm like, I don't even pride myself on being like a fanatical Broncos fan, but I went crazy during that entire game. You know, it's funny. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, so yeah. my, my better half, Amy, who did come with me, I didn't take her two years ago, and, and, and I made up for it this year by taking her. Yeah. She said she's never seen me show so much excitement and emotion in her entire life. We've been together for four years. Um, Wait till the Nuggets get to yeah. the final. Well, baby. I couldn't handle that. That'll be the next time I cry, probably. <laughs> oh yeah, you'll but, be weeping, um, weeping. But you know, here's the thing. I, you know, people always ask me, "Are you a Nuggets fan or a Broncos fan?" As if you can't be both. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a basketball fan first and foremost. I'm a Nuggets season ticket holder. I'm not a Broncos season ticket holder. But I've watched every Broncos game since I've been alive. I mean, when I went to college in Atlanta, and these are the old days before there was internet streaming and stuff. I went to the sports bar with my three friends from Denver in my school and watched every Broncos game. When I, you know, I've, I've never missed a Broncos game. Even on these trips where I go abroad, I remember being in uh, Tel Aviv a couple years ago and finding the one sports bar in Tel Aviv at 4 in the morning that showed the Broncos game. So I've never missed a Broncos game in my life. I've been very privileged to get to go to a few. You know, I go to a couple games every season and get to go to these playoff games. really worked out. But um, I love the Broncos. I love the Broncos. And as I wrote in my column after the victory, you know, the Broncos are the firstborn here in Denver. The Nuggets are child number two. Yeah. And the Rockies and the Avalanche to me are like distant third and fourth. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the Broncos are, are – and, and what's it's good – when the Broncos are good, um, it's actually good for the Nuggets too. 
because I think there's a keeping up with the Joneses factor in your own hometown, and the Nuggets have to mm-hmm. maintain, or at least attempt to maintain, the level of excellence that the Broncos have. I mean, eight Super Bowl appearances, tied for the most ever of any NFL franchise. Yeah. <laughs> Pat Bowen has more Super Bowl appearances in 31 years of ownership than losing seasons for. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, we as Broncos fans are so spoiled, I don't think we appreciate it. And, the pre- and yes, we've, we've had, we, we're the only franchise with five Super Bowl losses, and they're ugly. I mean, they are ugly, ugly, I don't even ugly. remember those games right. anymore. But this one, yeah. to win a third out of eight, really erased a lot of negativity around those five losses. It was just, like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not BSing. Best day of my life. Well, it was a, it was it was a good good moment, and I, I I thought of you. I was wondering when Peyton was struggling if they would show um, put in the Matt Schaub lookalike, Andy Feinstein in the stands, but they didn't. Um, although once again, not in the same place, and <laughs> so we don't know. But it was it was not it was nice to see that uh, you were able to make it down there. You know, my enthusiasm with this Super Bowl really wasn't as much as it was the well, the first time they won. It was kind of like, um, oh yeah, it was like good for them. I, I'm, 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 I'm excited. It's fun, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like like a that euphoric Packers moment. Game. Yeah, it that wasn't Packers, like Packers game, game. Nothing will replicate ninety ninety eight. I mean, you can't. You know, the really young listeners probably can't relate to this, but I, I'll never forget. I was a senior in college. Um, again, going to the sports bar every single Sunday, spending whatever money I had to take a taxi there, and I think and, I was a junior and, in high school. Yeah, and. Uh, and and the '98 Super Bowl, you know, we were. Uh, I don't remember exactly what we were. I knew we were an underdog. I don't remember if it was an eight point underdog, 13. 13 point underdog. For real? You know, Damn. That Packers team was a juggernaut. We were twelve and four that year. We had to win in Pittsburgh, in Kansas City, just to get there. Yeah. And uh, no one expected us to do anything. It was a thrilling game. I just watched uh, on NFL Network. They did these half hour doc, mini docs on every single Super Bowl, going back to Super Bowl one. I, I did just watch the five Broncos ones um, or six Broncos ones, but. Um, you know, that was a back and forth game. That was a really stressful game. Oh yeah. Um, this game was less so. I thought that when uh, the Panthers kicker missed the field goal, I just you know I just kind of felt like we could hang with these guys and Graham Gano. Yeah, we could keep it close. This game was stressful, but it wasn't yeah. on the level. Ninety eight was really stressful. Uh, when they when John Mobley knocked down that pass yeah. from Brett yes. Favre, I, I got out of the house. I ran out of the house and ran screaming through the yes. streets. And I and the only other time I've ever done that was when the Nuggets beat the Mavericks in Game Five to go to the Western Conference Finals. Sure. That's the only other time I've done that, and there was the same kind of euphoria with both times. And, and then I was like, when the Broncos won the AFC Championship, I was like, yeah, they're going to the Super Bowl again. And then when they won the Super Bowl, I'm like, oh yeah, great, man. And, but it just didn't quite reach that level. It well, yeah, remember there was, there was yeah. it, it, like Peyton Manning's been phenomenal for us, even though he had the worst. Game in the history of the Super Bowl for a winning quarterback, but give give Peyton Manning <laughs> credit. I mean, these four years have been phenomenal, um, and uh, but there was nothing like John Elway. I mean, John Elway got so badly beaten in the three Super Bowls he went to yep. before the night. I, I they it, got progressively worse. And just to clarify for the <laughs> listeners, ninety seven season, nineteen ninety eight Super Bowl. Yeah, why don't they do the NBA thing? Ninety seven, ninety eight. I don't know. I don't know why they don't do it. But anyway, uh, you know, there was so much. Build up for that. Just the you know, Elway being here and only being here his whole career. He's like my um, second father. And Jeff, he <laughs> was. And Jeff, you are Jeff. You're absolutely right. There, we, we will never replicate '98. But this was pretty awesome. It I was. It say. was awesome. I couldn't afford to be there in '98. So I don't know what it was like to be there. But I did watch it in Atlanta with my college buddies. Did you? Uh, did you go know. to the parade? I went to the parade, but not the rally. I had good strategy, so I went to the parade, saw the floats or the fire trucks pass by, waved at everyone. And then I ran to the office to watch the rally because there was no way I was going to duke it out at Civic Center Park with a million people. Oh, it was twenty percent of the state of Colorado <laughs> went to that. No, I'm That's serious. Insane. Twenty percent. It's crazy. Insane. And I think they set their Guinness record for the most fans ever for a uh, victory parade of any sort. That's insane. Yeah. And look, there was a confluence oh. of a lot of reasons why that happened. You had great weather that day. Oh yeah. The team hadn't won in 16 years. Um, and Colorado's grown in population. I mean, there's just more people. There's more people. 16 years. Yeah. Can you believe that? Feels like a blink of an eye. I know, right? I remember my dad always used to tell me that growing up. Time flies, son. I don't believe you, Dad. <laughs> I believe you now. <laughs> well, <laughs> supposedly, the reason... And I, I, I'm sure there's an article somewhere that substantiates this. I heard this second or third hand. But supposedly, as the older you get, time does compress because you have so many memories that it condenses 
what feels like time. I mean, it's already mid February, and it feels like New Year's was you know it yesterday. Just, it feels like it was so, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, supposedly that's what happened. So as you get older, that's why it feels like time literally flies by. Oh yeah, I remember uh, the 1994 Nuggets eight over one, which is another time I almost cried. Um, it just doesn't feel like it was 22 years ago. It, it Nugget, just doesn't. Yeah. Nuggets eight over one, unbelievable. That, I mean, that on. on Fucking believable, and, and you know it's 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 great that we have that. It's kind of depressing that that's a great moment for us. But I mean, at the same time, it's like I, I, that was a moment where I'm like, yeah, and I like was bawling. It was like because Nuggets are my first love, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, that was 22 years ago. What happened? What happened to me? Because my 20th high school anniversary is this year, and the anniversary reunion is this year, and it's like it. You know, it just kind of creeps up on you. But anyway, we don't want to talk about to, old man Morton. You going to Grand Junction? Is that where you went to high school? <sighs> don't remind me. Bring yes. me back some Palisade peaches when yeah, you so come. I'll, I'll, bring you some, I'll, I'll bring you back some of that damn wine. damn peaches. That, that Parasaurus wine that they have out there. I got some cobbler <laughs> I need to make. <laughs> I got some peach cobbler needs to go. Well, Andy, I, I'm looking around. We are at Jake Sports and Spirits tonight, and I'm looking at this Broncos mural, one of the greatest murals of all time. Did you take that photo since you went to all these Broncos games? <laughs> Is that one of yours? <laughs> I, I believe that's Jim Turner, so I don't know if Andy would have... That's been. actually from the late 70s. Yeah. Um, one thing we did when we, when we redid Jake's over the summer, we wanted to give it a little bit of a retro sports bar feel since we are here in the Rhino neighborhood and we're very close to the Coliseum where the Nuggets and uh, the Invaders, an old-school Denver hockey team, used to play. So we actually have images on the walls from the old Denver Rockets, Denver Nuggets, the Invaders. We wanted to throw in a few Broncos images from that era, and that one's from the late 70s. That one's awesome. I love that. If you haven't seen it, down here at Jake Sports and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. Andy, what happens on Tuesday nights down here? Well, Tuesday nights is two-for-one drinks, which we're all enjoying right now. Yes, we are. So, I've had one and, and, and two. And we do two-for-one drinks after every Avalanche and Nuggets victory. Granted, those are a little few and far between, <laughs> but it's a good promotion right now. It's a, it's a money-saving venture. Yes. <laughs> the, Avalanche, the Avalanche are in the playoff race, and the Nuggets are definitely trending up. Yes, and they are. Let's talk a little bit about the Nuggets sure. in this I mean, they had three guys at the All-Star Weekend. Last year, Yusuf Nurkic was supposed to be in the Rising Stars game. Didn't go. He went home to Bosnia, a little homesick. Definitely understandable. But three guys in Toronto and, and a fourth Denverite, and Andrew Feinstein was there. Yeah, I was the reason why people were talking about the Nuggets all weekend. No. Um, <laughs> but we saw him. I mean, you had a ton of pictures up on Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, yeah you got to follow at a And look, I'm biased, so take this with a grain of salt. But I will tell you, I interacted with a lot of guys in the sports media that we all look up to. You know, yeah. Adrian Wojnarowski and Kurt Heelan and Mark Spears and Jay Adonde and Zach Lowe. Like, I had these really cool conversations with guys that we read every day. Um, and I'm not going to attribute any quote to anyone specifically because it was all kind of off-the-record stuff. But what I will tell you is between the folks in the media that really cover the NBA that I spoke to and people who work in the NBA that I spoke to at very high levels within the NBA itself and other organizations, the Nuggets are back on the map. The Nuggets are back on the map as a respected franchise with a culture that's heading in the right direction. The universal quote I heard from everybody I talked to was the Sacramento Kings were stupid to fire Michael Malone. <laughs> it was like the number one thing I heard from everyone I talked to. And he has a lot of respect out there. He, he has does. a lot of respect, and that's good. And you know, I, don't, I, I should have looked it up before I got on the show today. I don't know where our record is now versus where we were with Shaw last year. It's not that much better, by the way. Uh, it's a little bit better. Yeah, but the Nuggets lost like... I should say that, like, they, I know they lost 13 to 15 games heading into All Star Weekend last year, and uh, and they didn't even compete. This Nuggets team competes. I mean, Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Toronto Raptors, said to me at an event in Toronto, he's like, "I'm glad we don't play you guys as if it's my team, right?" He said, "I'm glad we don't play you guys again because they couldn't beat us. We beat them twice, yeah, and we beat them handily in Denver the second time." I'm sure Stan Van Gundy says the Denver. same thing. Um, so well, it's, it's funny what you said about Malone about. You know, everybody's saying, what a mistake, what a mistake. Yeah, I think it was in the Michael Lee piece from um, Yahoo Sports on Malone where he he attributed his firing in Sacramento to where his legend kind of grew there because of it. You know, like he was so new and so unproven. It's kind of like the Kurt Cobain thing where people are like, he was this great musician that may have been killed by Courtney Love, may have committed suicide. (laughs) You never know. know. (laughs) You know, soaked in bleach. Watch it on Netflix. Soaked in bleach. It's it's that thing where you're like, okay, was he really great? Would he have lasted? I mean, Malone didn't have to go through any of the stink in Sacramento. He got out. But from talking to him and listening to him talk about basketball and seeing him interact with players, you know, on the court in the locker room, 
it really feels like it was a fantastic hire. Well, and at some point, you know, I know Josh Kroenke and Tim Connolly, and I heard this uh, uh, when I was in Africa with the NBA folks for Bass Without Borders. They got some criticism for hiring Malone. Um, the, the general consensus among those in the know was that they should have brought on D'Antoni. And, you know, Josh and, Josh and Tim have to hire someone that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And they're all the same age. You know, Josh, Tim, and Mike, Michael Malone, I think among them, they range from like 37 to 42 years old, all three of them. You know, they're the same generation. They're actually our generation. And I yep. think that's why we all get along with those guys. Tim the, Connolly's the my Pepsi age. Pepsi generation. You know, Pepsi generation. Crystal saying, Pepsi like, generation. And, 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 and as someone who, you know, as someone who, employs people in my own organization you have to work with people that you know uh, my mentor marty Chernoff, the nuggets curmudgeon who we all know really well but he always told me you have to hire people that if you're stuck in the office on a wednesday night till midnight you'd want to hang out with them anyway you know and i think that's what josh and tim have done with michael malone they're they're like they're like buddies and i think that's going to serve us well for a long time and i think too with i just feel like with malone being younger I don't know if it's true or not, but that he's going to be hungrier than a guy like Dan Tony that's kind of been through a lot of wars. Sure. Like you look at boxers, whoever that go through these wars, they're still good. They're still, you know, really good. But Malone still hasn't reached anywhere near his prime as a coach. Well, I could see Michael Malone. Out. I could see Michael Malone being here for like an eight-year run, like George did. I really could. What about like eighteen years? Like, why does that it have to ha- just be eight? That doesn't happen anymore. It just doesn't happen. But I could see him here. But it just doesn't happen anymore. You know, bat- that was a. By the way, this was a major topic at All Star Weekend. Um, was coaching longevity. You know, the NBA is becoming more and more like the NHL, unfortunately. Yeah. Where owners have really quick triggers on these coaches, and it depends on how you look at it. You know, Masai Ujiri, uh, you know, president of the Toronto Raptors, he had a really interesting take on it. Um, you know, we were talking about the Jeff Hornacek firing and he said look you know we as general managers we jumble these rosters so much and then we expect these coaches to perform and it's not fair sometimes i mean what was jeff's hornacek supposed to do they turned that roster over what three times in three years well even during masai's tenure in denver he turned over 19 players yep in his short time with the nuggets 19 players you can only have 15 on the roster and you know and that sort of thing obviously you know as a as the confirmed cynic that I am that that sort of thing you catches up with you constant turnover just just sure gets to your organization you can't build anything any consistency that's what's happening in Sacramento right now and when we're talking about coaches that you know get burned out and are not don't have been through the wars we're looking at our own you know old buddy George Carl going through what whatever he's going through in Sacramento right now he just looks like a guy who just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. So I, yeah, who, I'm trying to remember who told me this story. It was a great source. It may have been Al Albert. It was a good source, and he told me that years ago, when Larry Miller owned the Jazz before he passed away, at the beginning of training camp every year, Larry Miller put his arm around Jerry Sloan, head coach of the Utah Jazz, in front of the whole team, and said, "Guys, this is your head coach. If you have any problems with him or this organization, you take it up with him." He's your head coach. I have his back, period, dot, the end. And I just don't think, you know, and when, when an owner backs his coach like that, the players have nowhere to go. They have no one to whine to and cry yep. to. Yep. And I think that doesn't happen anymore. Smart. I'm sure it happens in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it happens. In, I, heard, I heard some great rumors about Miami while I was there that, you know, there may or may not have been some superstars on the heat that were undermining Spolstra. And Pat Riley backed Spolstra. He said, he's your coach. That's yep. how it goes. Play for him. And I don't think it's an accident that Coach Spo went to four NBA Finals, one, two. And by the way, he won 47 games before some of those guys got there. And he's going to win 47 games this year after those guys are gone. Oh, yeah. Um, And I just think that there's something to be said for the owner really backing the coach. Now, it's a tough balancing act, right? I mean, sometimes your roster is just not good and you need to make some moves. Sometimes your roster might have the right talent like they do in Sacramento, but it's not the right mix. Um, I'm shocked that my prediction of the Kings being the eighth seed is not coming to fruition. <laughs> but it's to the Nuggets' benefit because if the Trailblazers and the Rockets make the playoffs, which right now, unfortunately, only, you know, they're in a fight with Utah and only two out of three are going to make it. If the Rockets and the Blazers make the playoffs, the Nuggets are going to have three first-round picks. Yes, and, you know, don't count the Nuggets out. Or if Memphis the, falls off a cliff. Because the, the Nuggets play a lot of very winnable the games. The Nuggets are not making the playoffs. They may. And we don't want them to make the playoffs. Well, that's a great question for you guys. Do you they, want them they got, to make the they, playoffs? They got first-round picks otherwise. I mean, I mean to, it's, it's, they're not, they're not well, sucking to I mean, you look get at Ben it, Simmons right now. You so. look at it two ways. The Nuggets, I think, are pretty close to like a top-ten pick right now. 
if not inside like a top eight pick. Right with whether well, we're only about a game off of the Knicks now. The Knicks have stink have been stinking it up. They've been sucking, which is great. So, you, so maybe just maybe having two chances at a top three pick. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's how you you look at it from the front office's perspective, and you think don't make the playoffs. Let's give ourselves odds to get you know a top three pick. But then you look at it from the player perspective, and you think, damn, it would be nice to see Moody and Jokic in the first round of the playoffs, even if, even they if get it's smoked even if it's by Golden State, whatever. You get that experience. Isn't that going to benefit them them down the road? You know, I, I, I always tend to think that it, it does. I mean, getting in those situations, feeling what that's like. The Broncos got their ass kicked by the Seahawks. They knew damn well they weren't going to be out there partying and being stupid and leading up to this Carolina game. They did the right thing. So if you get a taste of, you know, that bitterness, maybe it leads to more success later. So there's two different ways to look Do, at it, in my opinion. Well, let me ask you guys this. We, we referenced the 1994 Nuggets. Do you think they made the uh, got that taste of the playoffs too too soon? Do you think they needed more hardship, or was that like something that should have, by the way, should have been a springboard to more? If you know, well, Bernie didn't. Okay, that's a different issue. Uh, and you've heard me right, just going to roll his eyes because I've I've been beating this dead horse all season. <laughs> this year's Nuggets team reminds me of the team before that team, the ninety two ninety three Nuggets, yes. which won thirty five games. They played really hard. They were sort of knocking on the door of the playoffs, sort of. Denver fans were excited. We'd been out of the playoffs for two years. Mm-hmm. And it was similar to now, two years. Like, God, it'd be great to get in the playoffs. Didn't make it. Didn't make it. But they were competitive, including yeah. beating the Western Conference champion, Phoenix Suns, on a Mahmoud butter, Chris Jackson buzzer beater <laughs> yeah. in game 82 yeah. on the McNichols floor. That sent a great... So they didn't make the playoffs, but it was a little bit of hardship. And it sent the right message going into the 93-94 season which, in my opinion, propelled them to that playoff upset. And I, I see this, this, to me, as this generation's 92-93 Nuggets, meaning we're just like that one pick away from being an eighth seed that could upset a one seed, and we're probably uh, an eighth seed away from building a, a culture here that could be a player in the Western Conference for a decade. Yeah. That 94 team should have been, but LaFonso's knee... And Bernie Bickerstaff, and see you later. Yeah. Right, and, and you know it's it's, it's a funny. Great the ninety two ninety three Nuggets. We, we you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Ninety two ninety three Nuggets was a fun team. A I really love that really fun team. It's actually, they my favorite. Some, one of my favorite Nugget teams. They ever. had some really yeah. exciting wins that year. I remember they beat uh, the Clippers on a on a fifty five foot shot by Chris Jackson to beat they, them in. in, in heard in, they in. beat the Suns too. They beat the buzzer beater. Yes, they did. <laughs> and uh, but they 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 beat they beat those teams and they were really enthusiastic. And I was I was in ninth grade at the time, and I remember just being absolutely enamored with the Nuggets at that time because there was a lot of enthusiasm for them. The next year, it hit a fever pitch when they got to the playoffs. Um, and they by the way they barely made the playoffs. They, they won 42 barely games. made the playoffs that year. Forty two and forty. Thankfully, Magic Johnson thought he was a head coach because yes. otherwise the, that Lakers team was right on our heels and they, they lost their last straight, mm-hmm. their last eight straight or something. Yeah, and the, and the Nuggets snuck in and then they were able to take, they, they won and then they were able to take the Utah Jazz seven games. So, but, you know, bringing it forward, this Nuggets team, they've been getting better and better since about actually the eight game homestand ended. It's weird, but once that that ended, the Nuggets have just been getting more consistent. Yeah, they had that like six game losing streak just yeah. before the eight game homestand, and since that time, they haven't lost more than two in a row. They yeah, lost and I, I should probably have it in front of me, but with the exception of that Hawks game where we just got embarrassed at home, yeah, have we lost by more than ten points in the last two months no. to anybody? No, I don't believe so. I don't know about the last two months, but... We've been remarkably competitive. I, th- I yeah. think it was just the Hawks game, because I don't recall them being blown out by anyone. We've been very competitive. But they've had games, too, like that, that Brooklyn Nets game where they're down yeah. 16. You know, and then they yeah. come back and they should have won it. Joe Johnson hits the miracle shot, and it's like, damn, if they can just get over those humps of those that one quarter that just sucks... It's either the first, the second, third. Yes. Or the, it's, it yeah, hasn't one been quarter. one consistent quarter. It's been every quarter, just I, once a game. I remember Issel's, That's the growing pains you go through. I remember Issel's 92-93 and 93-94 Nuggets would suck for three quarters, and then they would somehow win at the end, and no one would understand why. And that, that would be basically the pattern that they followed for two years. All these young teams basically have a, a certain pattern that they, they end up in. And I think that this Nuggets team, we, we forget that how young they are. 
when we're looking at them and their, their struggles, this isn't the ninety. This isn't the, the uh, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen Nuggets anymore. There's no veteran leader like no Andre, Andre Miller. Miller. No, right. no Andre Iguodala. There's, I mean, this is this is a really young team with Jameer not, Nelson. And Malone's not yeah. leaning on those old guys yeah. for anything more than like backup roles. You know, Foy backup. Uh, Jameer Nelson, backup. Yeah. You know, J.J. Hickson doesn't Nate, play. Nate's boy, Darrell Arthur, backup. No, I just... <laughs> Darrell Arthur, backup. I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with what they're doing. I'm thrilled. I, it's, it's every, I hate to say this. I hate to sound like the over-thinking fan here, and I'm not a tanking advocate. I've never been. You guys know I've never been. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with barely losing games, getting back in the lottery, but putting forth a good effort every night. I don't care if they go 0-82. I've, I've written this since I started Denver Stiffs in 2008. You know, I don't care if they go 0 and 82. Just be competitive. You know, Jeff Buzdelic's 17 win Nuggets were competitive. They played really, really hard. They had no talent, which is why they won 17 games. But they played really, really hard. And I'm okay with this. And I just, I'm only, I'm, the only thing I'm mad at myself at was the over under in Vegas was 26 and a half wins, and that was the best over bet oh, ever. So easy. And I can't believe I didn't. You know, I didn't yeah. think about it. Well, you, you've been, uh, you've been talking about that 2002. 2002-2003 Jeff Bazelic team a lot. And there's been between that team and the 90s... Too much, actually. 97-98 Nuggets, which featured a, a Tony Petit barely getting shots to the rim and stuff like that. I mean, it was one of the worst displays of basketball. They won 11 games. The Broncos won more games than the Nuggets. How often can you say that? The Broncos won 14, and the Nuggets won 11. How often can you say that? And then the Nuggets were like, let's take the head coach of that team... And make him our <laughs> studio analyst for the next 10 years because yeah. he knows basketball. Hey, Bill, he coached his team to 11 okay, wins, okay, damn it. Okay, so I have to recuse myself from this one because Bill Hanslick's been a personal friend of mine since <laughs> I was a kid. I love Bill Hanslick. No, and, and here's the thing. True story on this. True story. So Bill gets offered this job, and he gets offered, I think it was a three-year deal for $6 million bucks. okay? Yeah. Something you get like the that. worst roster in the league, Bill. Good so luck. he calls He calls Doug Moe, who's like his mentor and his friend and his advisor, and Doug says, do not take this job. This is the worst job in the NBA, but it's $6 million. How do you say no to $6 million? You know, Never would. And the value of that 20 years later, it's probably worth, you know, I don't know, $10 million. So, so you know, Bill, you couldn't blame Bill for taking the job. The money was guaranteed. He got paid. I feel bad for Bill because – and then Bill got stabbed in the back by his own friend, Dan Issel, <laughs> who comes in, fires him, uh, puts in Alan Bristow. Uh, Great move, coach. by the way, Alan Bristow. Um, no, Alan Bristow was savior of the franchise. Oh, Bristow was before. Bristow was before. Before and, and, and Issel comes in, gets rid of hands like and, and draft Ray Lafrance, and he, he puts in D'Antoni, yeah. who he then stabs in the stabs back. Stabs in the back, yeah. And and uh, it's just that was that was. I mean, if we could only bottle the Dan Issel from '92 to '95, and just keep him, and like the only the second time he came never happened. Let's just erase that. It's thing. funny because you know we rip on Danis a lot, but to Jeff's point, Sandy Clough's got some great Danis coach stories. Oh, yeah. from his first round as coach, mm-hmm. and Danis was the right personality for that team for the first round. Yeah, and, and, and they it, loved it, him. And you don't, all those players yeah. loved him except for Mahmoud. Yeah. And you don't beat you don't beat uh, you know you just don't beat the Sonics in the first round. A team that's won twenty one more games than you without Danis personality on that yeah. bench, you just don't. And and, and his strategy, I mean, playing. Robert Pack over Mahmoud. That took some real balls. Real balls. Yeah. I mean, Mahmoud was a borderline all-star. Yeah. He played, uh, he played, Mach- he played Robert Pack over Mahmoud, and then he, the strategy of playing Brian Williams and Matumbo together. That's right. Completely destroyed the Sonics. That's I mean, right. B- b- uh, Brian Williams got all the rebounds, and uh, Matumbo got all the blocks, and they just couldn't do anything about it. It was remarkable. It was remarkable. And then Jerry Sloan, I'll never forget this. Jerry Sloan, the next year, um, I was talking when I was doing my Dan Issel article I wrote two years ago, two, three years ago now, whatever. Um, it was actually four and a half years ago. <laughs> I have no idea. All these articles are like one mush now. Um, he, I was talking to a guy from Utah about uh, a reporter from Utah about that series that the Nuggets took them to seven games, and, and he said that Jerry Sloan to this day says that Issel outcoached him severely in that series. He says that there was like there was no way they should have won that. He said the Nuggets barely lost that game three when Jeff Hornacek hit that hit hit, hit, that, hit that shot, I was there. which crushed me. I was like, oh no, yeah. they're gonna lose. And then they came back, but he said Issel made the adjustments in that game, and it just kept snowballing after that. And he said 
They just pulled it out of their butts in that game seven. They would have played what Rockets next round. And they would have played. Way, the Rockets. So here's the thing: that Nuggets team should have should have been the first team in NBA history to overcome a three zero deficit and win a series. I think they're only one of three or four teams to be down three zero and tie the series, which in and of itself is remarkable. And the Nuggets had the Rockets number that year. The Nuggets actually beat the Rockets in the season series that year, and yep. for whatever reason, played really well against them. We should have been. Should have been the first ever eight seed to go to an NBA final. That would have, I mean, just imagine that stuff. But you know, we talk about this should stuff. Have been. We can't say they could have beaten the Rockets in a playoff series because they won some regular season games. They were the Rockets but, were a hell of a team that year. Yeah, I mean, uh, but uh, could have been. But it could have been. And I, been. I, I, hey, a Nuggets fan can. Unfortunately, all Nuggets fans have is hopes and dreams. We have fantasies about oh, things uh, that we. Um, but in the grand scheme, bringing it forward again. Um, you were in, in Toronto, and you... Well, hold on. Before we get into Toronto talk again, hold on. Hold your thought. <laughs> I want to say, though, if the Nuggets do miss the playoffs, like you said, Andy, they're going to be set up to, you know, have... Hopefully, if the Knicks don't make the playoffs, they have this chance to win the lottery yeah. twice, perhaps. And allowing Tim Conley and his staff to draft again in the top 14, I mean, with what they've done sure. with these second-round picks, with Nurkic, with Harris in the first round... Moutier, you know, maybe he fell into their lap. I mean, they could have taken Justice Winslow, a guy that was high on their list. It's exciting to think about what they could add to this current crop of young guys, and it's like, eh, maybe they shouldn't make the playoffs. And you just maybe know, said. Tim, Tim Collins got another itch out there in Eastern Europe, a guy whose name ends in IC, who <laughs> we don't even know about, right? right? He's just chomping at the bit to draft. Well, so. I, I got to tell you this, though. The Nuggets, even if they make the playoffs, they'll have lottery picks. Probably. No, and just right. Because even if we make the playoffs, we would have the Knicks lottery pick. Yeah. The Knicks are not making the playoffs. And the Knicks are not making Breaking any. news to Colorado Sports Guys listeners. Yeah. But the, the, Knicks, <laughs> the Knicks are not making the playoffs. And so, I mean, it's, we're, not, we're not talking about a team that's going to be sacrificing a lot. You're going to be sacrificing, quote unquote, a chance. But they're, they're you know, a, a numerical no, that's, chance. That's, that's, that's a really good point. You know, they are in the rare circumstance where they could technically. But I, I don't see them making the playoffs. They're five and a half games out or five games out. Yeah. You really think Houston and Portland and Utah are going to seed five games to us? And I just like don't see in it. Memphis, I mean, with Marcus Salt out for the season, it's like, are they going to well, go like okay, so, three and twenty? So quadruple right. And Memphis, unfortunately, is high enough in the in the mix. But quadruple best case scenario, Memphis misses the playoffs. The Blazers and the Rockets make it. We have four first round picks. That's too many for sure. Because we get <laughs> we get picks we get the yeah. Grizzlies pick if they miss the playoffs but don't get a top five pick. Yeah, six so, to four. In a way, that's the worst case scenario. We have. Can you imagine the Nuggets had four first round picks? <laughs> and then they'd really have to do like Conley would have to do a great job because everyone keeps saying that this is a weak draft. I but know. They, I thought they said that about last year's draft. It was top heavy, and this draft looks. Fucking amazing with all these rookies. You know, I don't know what weak yeah. draft means, and I, I wish I had basketball reference in front of me. If you go back and look at basketball reference, a third of almost every draft kind of hangs in there, and that's kind of it. You know, Now, every now and then you have a really bad draft, like the Anthony Bennett Oladipo draft where, like, two guys make it. Oh, my God. That's the worst draft I've ever and seen. I'm worried about that kind of draft. I've, I have seen Nate and I were at Pepsi Center for that draft. And watching Anthony Bennett go first was like, right. this has to be the worst draft ever. And it was a terrible draft. Awful. I've, I've, I don't think I've seen a draft that I, 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 I'm trying to recall. I don't, is there even, even any re, really substantial rotational players in the top five? I have to look that up. But it's, you know, if you were to redraft that, the first pick would be the Greek Freak. Yeah, Giannis. If you were to redraft it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an especially weak draft. Um, and I, I, I've heard that this year's draft is week two. I, I don't know what that means. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't watch enough. Well, you got Simmons, basketball. Ingram, uh, Hyde, Bobby Hyde, Buddy healed, Hyde, healed, 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 Buddy healed, healed, healed. Yeah, uh, from Oklahoma. And uh, <laughs> I kept the kept the fire burning while you were while you were away. <laughs> Buddy, Nate knows more about Buddy than I do. So you know, yeah. I, I, I have I, my knowledge of college is still pretty. He's all right. He's older. Dumb. It's he supposed to be a weak draft, but you know what? I think you, get, you know Tim Connolly may have his faults in some areas, but you can't fault him for his drafting. He's done a phenomenal job. The Nuggets don't actually have a second round pick as of yet. They owe their second rounder to Portland for the Jan Vesely trade. Really? From a few years back. Poor Wait, Jan Vesely. May he may his career rest in peace. Who do they owe that pick to? 
Well, yeah, they don't have a second round pick. They yeah. owe that to somebody. Pelicans? I don't know. But yeah, from the Jan Vesely trade. Rockets? But you know what, Nate? No, no, no. If you look, Nate, if you look historically in NBA history of drafts, um, after the 10th pick, it's a crapshoot. Meaning, if there was a guy the Nuggets really, really, really wanted and everybody else projects him to be a top second-round pick, you take him with that Rockets pick at 16. You right. Just take him. Yeah. Because yeah. the chance of scoring at 16 versus 32 or 35 is kind of the same. Unless, that's what, that's um, what Masai did with uh, Von Fournier. He took him when he was 20. projected to be a late first, early yeah. second. He took him at 20, and everybody's like, what the hell? And now you're like, oh, now and I see Fareed, what thinking about. And Bruno, Fareed, and Bruno and Toronto and some other guys. Well, and unless Freach we, wanted, we wanted to talk about the 1996 draft, where there was like a whole bunch of great players selected after 10. We've, yeah. mentioned, so, them. We've mentioned them on this podcast. We probably have. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, you're getting into talking back about Toronto, yeah. if you can remember your point. Uh, we can... Discuss. You sidetracked me. No, no. Um, bringing it forward, you were there in Toronto, obviously, as we've discussed. Um, you were you there for the All Star Saturday night? I was there for All Star Friday, Saturday, night, and Sunday night. Okay, let's go to Friday. Did you you watch the Rising Stars? I game? watched them. What did you think of Moutier well, in that game? Let me let me ask this first before you get into that. With for the with love this, of God. well, no, it's the same thing. <laughs> so you have you have Moutier, Jokic, and Barton there. Sure. And Barton's probably spent more time since he's been in the league around guys. But do you think it's good for those guys to go there and be around these star players? Do they benefit from that in any way? 100%, although I don't think they can drink with them. They're too young. And not really, um, yeah. but You don't think Carmelo's in bars out here when he was a rookie? No comment. <laughs> but, I know uh, he was, for a fact. But 100%. Okay, wait, it's good for them to be there. I think that, look, anytime you can stress test your organization and your key players in the organization that's a positive. Moutier shined on Friday night. I mean, he had yeah, he the did. best first half of anybody. If the world team wins that game, he's arguably the MVP of the game. Yep. I mean, that's how good Moutier played. Jokic, 30 points, 10 And Jokic six. had a Jokic performance. I mean, he had a solid night across the board, across the box score. He's not going to shine um, in that kind of setting yeah, they, as a score. Yeah, they don't value centers. In but Moutier, games, I so. thought Moutier looked great. What I, what I really appreciate about Moutier is he just looked confident. And I ran into Moutier Saturday at the NBA Africa luncheon, and he's just, I don't know, he's, he's really got an aura of confidence about him that I think it's post-ankle injury. Mm-hmm. He's really kind of coming to his own. And, it's um, growing more. And if you confidence. notice, you know, you know, look, Michael Malone's got no choice because the Nuggets refused to have a third point guard, and <laughs> Jimmy Nelson's been hurt. But it's been good to see Moutier closing out games. Yeah. And I think that's helped him, too. I remember in Toronto, when they beat the Raptors in Toronto, they benched Moutier for almost the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, he played only played Nelson. like three minutes. They lost like six straight or seven. Actually, they lost eight straight. They, or something. Eight, eight they took Moutier out of, just around the yeah. six-minute mark. Yeah, and, and, I, and I overheard Michael Malone at the corner of my ear in the hallway saying to a reporter or something, he's like, I, he's like look, I wanted to play Emmanuel, but I needed to win. Because, <laughs> you know, nine-game losing streaks get coaches fired. Yeah. Right? And not that the Nuggets would do that, but they do. They get coaches fired. So um, I, I'm glad to see Coach Malone having some confidence in Moutier. I'm glad to see Moutier having some confidence. It showed Friday night. I thought it was spectacular watching him out there. And it just dawned on me. I was like, when they redraft this, I'm a dork about redrafting drafts, but when they redraft this draft, you know, three years from now, I still think Carl Anthony Towns is your first pick. I think Porzingis is your second pick. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think Moody is your third. There's a really good chance he'll be the third best player in this in a deep draft. Yeah, and Okafor hasn't exactly set the roll on fire. So no, yeah. but Okafor's solid. He's I think, solid. By the way, I think D'Angelo Russell's going to turn out to be okay. D'Angelo Russell's been once, really I think Willie Cauley Stein's going to be okay. I think, Willie Stein's gonna be okay. I think Justice Winslow's going to be okay, and I think Hazonia's going to be okay. Yeah. Miles but, Turner, complete but, badass. But among He's all awesome. of them, I think Moody will be the third best. Yeah, you know, and I see that with him too. I mean, he just well, yeah, no one expected. Um, Certain things. I mean, no one expected Porzingis to be as good as he was when he came over. Can you imagine? No. If, sorry to cut you off, Jeff. But can you imagine if Moody played for Larry Brown for just one year at SMU? After reading what uh, Chauncey Billups wrote about Larry Brown, uh-huh. no. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? I didn't catch that. I must have. Missed I mean, that. he just—it was in the Players Tribune, right? Yeah, Chauncey wrote that big piece, a letter to himself oh. in the Players Tribune, and he referenced Larry Brown and just reading between the lines, it sounded like he was very kind of difficult personality. He's an extremely difficult personality, but he's also one of the few guys in the history of basketball to win a championship both in college and the pros. He was a point guard. He played at North Carolina. Um, I mean, look at some of the point guards he's coached. I mean, Doc Rivers, Allen Iverson, Chauncey Billups, 
you know, who was his point guard in New York? <laughs> I don't remember. Um, but uh, <laughs> Stephen Marbury, maybe. Stephen, maybe. But, uh, you know, Larry Brown has obviously, I mean, I, it doesn't matter. Moody didn't play for him. He played in China. Moody they still a, have a really good relationship, too. Moody a is wise beyond his years. He's a very introspective young man, and he'll be a credit to this organization for a long time. Yeah. Well, he's very quiet, and um, he's hard to interview just because you can't get the mic close enough for you to hear him. But he is thoughtful, and he is someone who doesn't seem to be rattled, um, which is good. I mean, you need that, as you were discussing, you need that confidence. Um, and Jokic... He was not going to shine out in that game because it was just impossible. There's no way. Everyone's shooting threes, and he is a center who gets putbacks and really initiates things from the post. But you he know was what? getting some great passes, but he though, started. He started. He, started. Mm-hmm. he was there. He contributed. And Jokic is no yoke, okay? No. Pardon the pun. <laughs> and I think the Nuggets, the, I, the Nuggets is it, you, you mentioned Brian Williams and Matumbo earlier playing together, and I've been wrestling with this for the last couple months. And I put it to you guys who cover the team very closely. Can Jokic and Nurkic play together as a, as a four or five? This, is, this question's actually been asked of Malone. So often. Malone says no. For and now. It, for right now. I I mean, think that means the Nuggets have two totally separate fives. Uh, and here's, yeah. here's, here's what we keep coming back to with Jokic is defensively, can he guard the other fours around the league? And right now you'd have to say no. He just doesn't have the lateral quickness to do that, to get in front of guys. But – Two three years from now, maybe, maybe he could. He needs to get a body, and right now he's just got the that he's lost a lot of weight, and he's not that pudgy kid on his on his passport anymore. But he is certainly someone who needs to gain some muscle and improve his own own. Speaking strength. of that, and I, I, I hate to throw rocks, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But as someone who does, and this is not meant to sound immodest, as someone who sits very close to the floor, I don't <laughs> sit on the floor, but I sit damn close. <laughs> I sit either in the First row, or I sit in the fifth row. And I don't mm-hmm. sit higher than that, okay? Mm-hmm. I am concerned that Nurkic and Moutier, and to some extent Jokic, are not in great shape. And I think that this summer, the Nuggets need to make a real effort to get those guys in great shape. Now, I don't know what workout regimen to prescribe. I'm not, uh, look at me, I'm not an icon of fitness over yeah. here. I thought you were a CrossFit guy. Yeah. Well, I'm a CrossFit guy, but I'm a part time CrossFit guy. I'm, I'm engaged to a <laughs> CrossFit trainer, so I know what CrossFit should look like, and I'm not the poster child for it. Trust me. <laughs> But I'm also not getting paid $10 million a year to perform athletically. And I think that um, these guys have got to eat right. they got to get on. I mean, Moutier and Nurkic, after 15 minutes, look like they're dying out there, you know? Yeah. And I just think that that's – now, maybe it's because Moutier had the ankle injury. Maybe it's because Nurkic had the knee injury. Altitude. Um, but altitude, they, they haven't acclimated by now. Really? So I'm just yeah. saying that we should be – and that Paul West had tried this, and it didn't work. But – we should be the fittest team in basketball because we do have. I know the NBA has gotten rid of some of the back-to-backs and whatever, but we should be the fittest team in basketball at altitude. And you think too, with Moutier being six five, that he would be very much an above the rim player, and he's really not. I mean, he's he's another Nurkic, Jokic, Moutier well, can all barely dunk the ball. It's funny you said that. I agree with you one hundred percent because one of the comparisons to Moutier, of course, is John Wall and Westbrook, right? Like six four, six five point guards. Moody is nowhere near the athlete those guys are. Now, that doesn't mean... Magic Johnson was not a great athlete. He really wasn't. No. Magic was 6'9". He couldn't jump. Magic almost never dunked the ball. Yeah. Steve Smith was not a particularly good athlete. He was a shoes-to-the-floor player, had a phenomenal NBA career. Yeah. Moody is not a great raw athlete. I don't think Chris Paul is like an extremely No, he's not. That's athlete. a great point. That's you a know? great point. But uh, right, remember like when Kevin Johnson dunked on Akeem Olajuwon? Like, yeah. Chris Paul could never do that, right? right. Yeah. Um, Moody is not a great athlete. He is somewhat of a below-the-rim player, which is interesting because George Carl hated below-the-rim players. Hated him. Um, Loved Andre Miller, though. Yeah, it's true. And uh, what a career he's had as a below-the-rim player. He was player. the before, below-the-floor player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he but you know up what? on some blocks. But you know what? Moody has got an NBA body. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's got NBA eyes. He's got NBA touch. And uh, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be great, actually. Um, a lot but, of these but guys, he won't too. win with his. He, he will not. But, although maybe it's a double-edged sword, right? Not being a great athlete may be a little bit of a detriment now. But what happens when John Wall and Russell Westbrook lose a step? Remember when Iverson lost a step? Oh yeah. What happens when Ty Lawson loses a step? Moody has already lost a step, so and same he with, may have same a. Same with uh, Chauncey Billups, not a tremendously like correct gifted, fluid athlete, but 
obviously. So maybe Moutier's heading for a career a little bit like Chauncey or Andre Miller, which I'll tell you right now. I would if that's door number one. I don't care what's behind door number two. That's right. a hell of a career. Yep. Well, Andre Andre's seventeen years. You yeah. know, and if you can make it that long and have a good productive career, or it's gonna, it's fantastic. You know, Nurkic actually had a good game against Detroit, right? And uh, he finally worked himself back into a little bit of consistency. You, it's going to be hard in today's NBA to play a two towers, twin, twin towers kind of lineup. I it's, agree. It's, it's just, it's not geared toward that. But the Nuggets do run a lot of post action, so. I can don't blame anyone for thinking that they would like to see a playmaking Jokic. Which let's put him to the put it this way: he is a playmaker. He passes unbelievably well for a someone who is you know six eleven, seven feet tall. Yeah, he's a seven foot point guard. He's a seven foot point guard, and he's just got such great vision. And then you got Nurkic, who you know is just a brute. Is what he is. He's a ball. Also, a pretty gifted passer. Also, a great good passer. Vision. Remember last year he was throwing alley oops to Kenneth Fareed from the three point line. Yep. And you know, I, I tell you what, I can pass. If you're going to do a half court, a half court run, a half court based system like the Nuggets are doing right now, you got to have good gifted passers, specifically from the post position. So in that way, I don't blame people for looking into the future and thinking, well, maybe these two can play together. I just don't see it happening. Not not with this thing. Maybe they could in the fact that, obviously, on offense, Jokic can shoot threes. Nurkic can stretch out a little bit, and they're both really good out of the high post to where you can run that, like, horns action at the top. You know, you can do a lot of different things with them. Maybe there's hope there. And with those guys, too, with I know especially with Nurkic and Jokic, weightlifting overseas, not really a big thing at all. No. They, they never really I remember. I remember two th- summer of 2008, Nene was really out of shape. You know, he'd come back from a testicular cancer issue and... Then he was just out of shape. And I don't remember what the, the exact pounds were, but there was an edict given to Steve Hess, who's a friend of mine and, you know, and a very inspirational trainer for the or uh, fitness uh, trainer for the Nuggets, not the trainer, the fitness guy. Strength conditioner. And strength conditioner. And Steve Hess was given a mandate to get Nene in shape for the 0-9 season. He didn't only get Nene in shape. He got Nene in shape, Kmart in shape, yeah. and Chris Anderson in shape. And look what those three guys did that year. Badass, right? 0809. We don't get to the conference finals without those three guys being in great shape. And they were in better shape than anyone who came to Denver. That team blew out anyone who came into Denver yep. that year. Yep. You're right. And, and even, even with Moody, I mean, th- a three month ankle injury in China, three months. And I don't think that the you know, strength and conditioning and the rehab over there was top I'm notch. just saying, like, this summer, and I know these kids now, they have lots of obligations, overseas camps and whatever. They need to be in Denver. They need to be running up and down the steps at Red Rocks with Steve Hess yelling at him with his South African accent. You know, they've got to get, they've got to get those three kids in good shape because that, to me, could be worth seven more wins next season. Yeah, and Jokic went from 290 after summer league down to, like, 260 mm-hmm. ahead of the season. So now that he's got rid of some of that baby right. fat, now you start building that you know, right. into something. Same with Nurkic, yeah. same with Moutier, really. So, yeah, great point on that. Um, back to All-Star uh, Saturday night. Did you? What did you think of the dunk contest? Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, first of all, awesome. Will Barton's first dunk was legit. It was legit. And he got totally screwed got by screwed. being the first dunker, and the ref's not really warming up. Yeah. I mean the refs, the, uh, the uh, judges. Morons. Magic gave him a six, which was ridiculous. Um Andre Drummond had no business being in the dunk contest. Yeah, Poor kid. I don't know why he was even in there. It reminded me of when Ralph... shows you how old I am. It reminds me of when Ralph Sampson was in the dunk contest here in Denver in 1984. <laughs> 1984. Like, what the hell was Ralph what Sampson doing Larry in the dunk Nance. contest? Right? Although Larry Nance was 6'10". Yeah. Sean Kemp but, was 6'10". Yeah, but, but Andre, Drum- freak. Andre Drummond a... just didn't look like he belonged out there. Yeah. Aaron Gordon... Yeah, here's the problem. When you can only give him a 6, a 7, 8, a 9, or a 10... And it's round numbers like that. There's no nuance to it. Aaron Gordon's, yes, Aaron Gordon had a 50, and yes, Zach Levine had a 50 in the final round. But when Aaron Gordon went under the butt with the ball, with the, with with the mascot, yes. and then did the reverse, that was a better 50 than Zach Levine's 50. Now, yes, it was. That being said. I was more impressed with the funky duck, the uh, mascot spinning around. Oh, that was unbelievable. Incredible. But you know what? Give Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine credit, man. They went for it. The, f- the fans in the stadium were screaming, like, more, more, more. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, Zach Levine, did, did he really do a windmill from the free throw line? I mean, that was insane. He's just t- Between his legs from the free throw line. And he Between just, his legs. Zach Levine just glides. He's just a smooth, smooth. Dunker. He just looks great when Nate he Nate and I saw it in person 
at, uh, at Pepsi, at Pepsi Center, Center yeah. during the, the Nuggets workout. And he did like two or three dunks, and I, got, I managed to get one of them on video, which I've constantly reposted because it's, it gets hits like you wouldn't believe on my YouTube channel. But it is, I saw it that day, and I'm like, I remember turning to Nate, and I went, this is it. We're done. And I got to tell you, I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like the, the judges should at least get one replay before they judge. Because Aaron Gordon's third dunk in the finals was unbelievable, but in real time didn't look unbelievable. You know, he did the between the legs reverse, kind of like Harold Miner did and Dominique did a hundred years ago. Yeah. But what you didn't notice, unless you saw the replay, was he went over his head, then between right. his legs, and then back up and dunked it. It was an unbelievable dunk, mm-hmm. but in real time, it just looked like old school Harold Miner Dominique. Yep. And that was the same thing with Martin's first dunk because I think it happened so fast right. you didn't see any of the nuance. To That's what correct. He did. Nate's exactly right. And then well, Barton hurt himself by not completing the second dunk. Now let's yeah. let's um, let's. Bring this to the Nuggets. Are we done? Which okay, sorry. I see gesticulating. But I, I still think, in my book, Aaron Gordon won that dunk contest because yeah, the dunks he did were way more memorable. Because that's my whole point. Levine kind of did the right. his, same thing. His fifties were better than Levine's fifties. Yeah, they yeah. were. I mean, I mean, Levine. You cannot knock him for any of his dunks. They were fifties. They were fifties. But Aaron Gordon had that little pizzazz on his. He just did something different. He just had that little thing on him that's like it's. And he's six nine. I mean, for him to do, I, yeah. I am. <laughs> here's the thing: I, I, a friend, two different friends of mine who knew I was in Toronto, texted me after the first round, like the dunk contest is garbage. They need to get rid of this thing already. I thought so too. Heading into it, I was like, in the finals, the show's. Did over. we just see a top five dunk contest yeah. ever? Do both those guys come back next year? Do they have to come oh, back next year? Oh, they have to come back next year. Like, I tell you what. I thought Dominique Jordan in 88 was the best one I've ever seen. Well, Andrew Wiggins needs to get in there. Dominique Jordan's the best one ever because, oh, yeah. because it's the only one. I'm kind of a dunk Dominique won aficionado. One. It was the only one where you had two legitimate superstars yeah. in the final. Usually you had, like, remember Dominique beat Kenny Smith in 90 or Jordan in 87. Jordan beat Jerome Kersey, I think, in 87. Yeah. It's usually like a superstar versus a, a role player. It was the only time I can think of in Dunk Contest history you had two superstars in the finals. Yep. So there was a gravitas component to it. Um, and obviously, we all, you know, we all love our own nostalgia. And to me, that's the best Dunk Contest ever yeah. as well. Uh, Spud Dominique in 86 was pretty 86 unbelievable. Was, yeah, that was really good. I Spud. mean, unbelievable. But uh, this is a top five Dunk Contest. This one, you know, this, you know, the Vince Carter Dunk Contest, Dominique Jordan, maybe Spud Dominique, this one. There was an epic battle uh, with Jason Richardson... And um, and uh, Desmond Mason. Yeah, that's rarely talked about. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was, and it was uh, an unbelievable dunk oh, contest. When was that? that I love Jason. Oh, I want to say like oh four oh five ish. Yeah, oh five was uh, Josh Smith here in Denver. Um, that may have been uh, right around that era. But, yeah, but uh, but anyway, um, this was a top five dunk contest. Oh yeah, no, and uh, the it was a blast. Are the Nuggets? Doomed since David Thompson to not have a really great representation in the dunk contest. Other Robert than Robert Pack, Pack, Pack second one, really, he finished second. Robert Pack finished to uh, to um, uh, J.R. Ryder. Isaiah Ryder. Isaiah Ryder. I think and, they just had freestylers like J.R. Smith, Birdman. That was a terrible. Barton were all kind of like just kind of seemed to me like wasn't just Birdman freestyling. With, wasn't Birdman when he was with uh, both. Once Both. with the Nuggets and once, once with New Orleans. I remember. And Kenneth Fareed actually, he had a great first dunk of memory serves, Kenneth Fareed. And another kind of freestyle guy. Yeah. It just seems like but, he just uh, But it. it's like um, Darvin Ham had, as I remember, had a good dunk contest. But it was just. JR should have been kind of like a Zach Levine, but. Uh, uh, Zach Levine's remember just. Remember he had Sonny Weems out there with him. And Zach <laughs> Levine's just, he's just graceful. He just looks great. Well, it's, it's hard to compete yeah, with someone floats. who floats like that. I mean, that's unusual. Um, but I mean, the Nuggets have never really. I mean, remember Chris Jackson and the and the well, dunk. Contest? That's a great story. They yeah. had to send the NBA a tape because he had never dunked in a game yeah. ever, and so they had to send him a tape. <laughs> I think Chris Jackson was the first person ever to participate in a dunk contest who never dunked in a game. <laughs> I, he I, was respectable, yeah, but he didn't even make it to the second round. Didn't even make it to the second yeah. round. And those and are the old days where you went from eight guys to four guys to two, so you had to dunk like. Eight times, nine oh, times yeah. in a dunk contest. Well, the Nuggets Lights in the 80s shot. had no one who dunked. <laughs> one, one, one other comment about the dunk contest, just phys- having been there in person, and this is my third All-Star game in my life, attending the dunk contest. Um, the TV breaks are so long. I don't know how those guys stay warm. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? I it's, the, the TV breaks are so long. That whatever, I don't know how they build up a rhythm, and I think it's a detriment. And it I, is. I, I appreciate 
there's got to be a better way to format it because it's just it's, the breaks are too long. It, it's way too long. I, I completely agree. And they didn't used to. I remember the one when it was in Denver 11 years ago. It was. Uh, it went. I remember being going a lot quicker. Yeah. Than it is like I mean the rounds were longer, but the game it went quicker than this one, which like break after break, yeah. and it was just so long. You know, you don't need to you know throw in that Gillette ad. You know, you could probably cut that off a little bit, and maybe with the ads on the jerseys that I think are coming, maybe uh, that they'll cut down some of those. So. Commissioner Silver's telegraphed it; they are coming, and I hate them. It just makes us look tacky. It makes us look like uh, uh, it makes us look like uh, you know European it you soccer. Look, it makes you look like a broke league or NASCAR that like can't afford like the WNBA. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I hate that. I hate sleeves. I hate ads. So, I, I, by the way, I found out by the sleeves. I never Mold. understood. I was like, why do they do these sleeves? Mold and angry. The players hate them. And here's why they did the sleeves. I found this out over all. These are the things you find out all star weekend. They want to cover up all the tattoos. No. They wanted <laughs> fat people to buy jerseys. No. <laughs> sort of. So, yes. so, Scott. Um, Is that my so, phone? Uh, it's very hard for the average person. The hell, Nate? They call him me. Nate. <laughs> Nate. Unless you're ripped like you are. Oh, yeah. It's very hard for the average person to wear an NBA jersey. We look horrible in them. I mean, can you imagine me with like my hairy back wearing an NBA jersey without a T-shirt? It's, just, it's not... Too much information. So, 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 He's really hairy. I've seen it. So uh, <laughs> the sleeves... They have laser surgery. If you the sleeves are ridiculous on the court, but they're actually kind of cool. To wear as like a workout shirt, you know what I mean? They're really cool. Oh, so, so you bought one? I didn't yet. Oh, but you I'm haven't going to. bought one because they suck and no one wants to. I did buy not them. buy my white pride <laughs> shirt. But, <laughs> but what I will say is, what I will say is, um, uh, if I was playing basketball like I used to, I would totally buy one and play in it. But I could never wear a real NBA uniform. I'd look ridiculous. And so would you, and so would Jeff. Oh, of and course that's, I would. So, so that's, I'm serious. They wanted to sell more merchandise to the average fan, and that's what they went with the sleeves. So I, do you, do things you, think, you learn at All-Star Weekend. Do you think Nike will continue once they take over the jersey making I wouldn't be season? surprised. But the players don't like them. It restricts their shooting. Hey, LeBron, LeBron tears his. Although I, I, wonder I, how, I wonder how Steph Curry's doing. I wonder, I'll, we have to look at what his shooting percentage is with sleeves versus without sleeves. <laughs> that doesn't matter. He's an alien. <laughs> Just phenomenal. All right, we good? We're done? I think we're good. We think we've exhausted our topics. Did you like the actual All-Star game? Uh, it was all right. I mean, you know, here's the problem. Great. Here's the problem. The All-Star, the All-Star game is kind of like the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, one out of every four is really good, and then the other, the three out of the four are not good at all. This one was not good. Um, if it's competitive halfway through the fourth quarter, it gets really, really interesting. And this and this was just not. wasn't. So they start playing hard when it gets. Yeah, and it, it's not. You know, Russell, Russell Westbrook won the MVP. Only played 22 minutes. There wasn't really a clear cut MVP. Kobe Except had a bad game, which was unfortunate for his last game. And even if you give it to the guy that, like Paul George, had forty one, they right. went after him to not get forty two. It's like, yeah, he had forty one, but there was no defense. You know I what? I could have got probably twelve I, points. I in actually would. I actually think he should have been the MVP. And, and, and in the past, MVPs of All Star games have not won the game. Uh, just like LeBron, I still stand by this statement. Should have been the NBA Finals MVP last year. Yeah, I think Paul George should have been the MVP of the All Star game, but. Not that big of a deal. Uh, it was just fun to be there. It's pretty cool when you look on the court and you're like, this is Kobe Bryant. I mean, it makes me feel old. I mean, this is his last All-Star game ever, and he's on the same court as Next Gen. Yeah. You know? I How mean, much you, of a joke was it that Iguodala got MVP of the finals? He had, well, it, it, he had we, a great fun. I mean, we've seen this before, yeah. though. He had a great last two games. He did. And you remember James Worthy had the triple-double in Game 7 in 1988? Yes, LeBron kicked. Iguodala's ass the entire series. He had but great 19, stats. 1980, 1980, Magic Johnson steps in as a rookie. And everybody remembers the game, right? 42 yeah, points, yeah, yeah, uh, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, starts at center. Magic wins the MVP of the NBA Finals. Magic will be the first one to tell you. They don't even get to Game 6 without what Kareem did for four and a half games. Mm-hmm. Right. Kareem was really the MVP of that series. So for whatever reason, the media tends to favor. I mean, look, cornbread Cedric Maxwell won the MVP for the Boston Celtics in the 1981 NBA Finals. Not Larry Bird. I mean, come on. <laughs> so so they, they tend to go with the guy that had like the great last game and a half, two games. Did Elijah one win both MVPs yes. in, in, in yes. both years? Yeah. Yes. And that was, that was one of those years where he was basically definitely, I mean, he dominated Shaq. But a lot of times, you're right, they don't win him. They, 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 the best player who do win the series okay, win him. Also, things you hear at All-Star Weekend, the consensus around, Steph Curry did not have a great NBA Finals. But what all the all the experts told me in Toronto was 
Andre Iguodala can't do that without Steph Curry being exactly. in the game. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they and, and and you know David Blatt had to kind of pick his poison, and they were so focused on Curry and Thompson that David Lee and Andre Iguodala beat him. The mole. The mole. So the mole. Forever be known around the here. Whack-a-mole. Jeff's favorite NBA player. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, we're all good here. We wrapped it up. Basketball hour with Andrew Feinstein of Denver. Yeah, we have a theme song for you. We just haven't you know, put it on the thing yet. I appreciate it, guys. Love you guys. <laughs> Always fun to come on. Let's do this again in a couple of weeks. We'll do a post-trade deadline uh, assessment. Yes. Yeah, that sounds we'll good. All right, let's get out of here. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.